Welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast where we are offering you, dear listener and TV watcher, a backstage look at this year's buzziest contenders for the small screen's biggest award. I'm Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting since 1960, and I'm here to give you a front row seat to the 2017 Emmy race. This season of In the Envelope is brought to you by HBO. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode six of In the Envelope, a special triple-decker episode where we have three wonderful guests talking to us on the show today, but also uh, our last episode for a while because Emmy nominating ends on Monday, June 26th, the day this episode airs, which means we will be transitioning from the Emmy contenders that we have talked to to hopefully some Emmy nominees. Uh, The next round, of course, will be the announcement of the Emmy nominations, which will happen on July 13th. You can certainly follow along with Backstage as we watch the results. We're very excited about who's going to get nominated for what. And then, of course, a round of voting where those nominees will duke it out for TV's biggest award, followed by the CBS telecast of the Emmy Awards on Sunday, September 17th. So we have a lot to get through today. Later in this episode, we're going to hear from Amy Brenneman, one of the stars of HBO's drama The Leftovers. Now, just a note about The Leftovers on a purely objective, unbiased uh, basis here. It is the most underrated show, possibly in the history of television, because critics, I mean, have acclaimed its its storytelling wonders, particularly of its of its cast, including Amy Brenneman. And uh, it has never been nominated for an Emmy Award. Uh, it's not been nominated for many awards, despite being very much a beloved series that I am currently obsessed with. We talked to Amy a lot about what the series means and sort of how to watch it and how she has grown as an actor. Afterward, we are joined by Jay Duplass, who you may have heard of from Amazon's original comedy series, Transparent, Jill Soloway's story of a Jewish family going through some changes Both Amy and Jay were in the third seasons of their show, and both have excellent advice when it comes to being a working actor because they've been on both sides of the camera. Jay is a writer and director who's very active in the indie film world, and Amy was the producer and creator of Judging Amy, which was a show that was based on her life. Both have very interesting things to say. But first up, we have an interview with Frida Pinto, the Indian actress who most probably know from the Oscar-winning film Slumdog Millionaire. That's sort of how she burst onto the scene. But she now stars in Showtime's miniseries Guerrilla, which is about the British Black Panthers in 1970s London. And certainly a side of Frida Pinto that no one has seen before. She plays a really tough-as-nails character named Jazz. Uh, we talked a lot about how she approached this character and how it is expanding her horizons as an actor. She's really wonderful. Here's my interview with Frida Pinto. So let's get right into it. Gorilla, Jazz Mitra. (laughs) She is something else. I'm familiar with your work and I was surprised to see such a gritty, just tough as nails side of you. Who is Jazz in your mind? Like, who, what kind of research and preparation went into creating her? Yeah, so I think that part of the research is just natural hunger that comes as an artist <laughs> to want to do something like this. Mm. Uh, you know, to hopefully be able to, um, you know, be able to show range and just stretch yourself and excite yourself every day at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like a, a part of the training for me personally came from feeling frustrated for two and a half years almost that people were not writing characters like jazz to look obviously John Ridley yeah. came around and gave me this real gift, you know? Um, and then of course, once I started getting into j- under jazz's skin and really getting to know who she was um, and who she is rather, I kind of just realized that she and I have so much in common, you know, it's just, there is this definitely it seeps in um, some kind of historical and political relevance, even though these are mm-hmm. all fictional characters, you know, none of them, it's a watch of drama, so uh, none of this actually happened the way it could be shown in Gorilla. Right. They're all based off of experience.
experiences of real life gorillas. So part mm. of the research was actually meeting real life gorillas as well. Uh, a to be educated about a time in history that I was uh, unaware of. Absolutely unaware in the sense I did not know that British power movement actually existed. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, we all know about the American civil rights movement and the mm-hmm. American Panthers, but not so much is known about Britain's, Britain's history in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so part of it was all the factual learning and learning from Farouk himself. And then the other part was finding similarities, you know, and it, it came more naturally as I started playing this character, mm-hmm. um, this need to want to do something all the time, you know, just to be to be present and to be doing something as opposed to just talking about it. And I think that shows relevance with what's happening today in the world as well. You know, we've spoken about this for years that we don't yep. want to ever feel and see, uh, be under this oppression. And here we are. And now it's time for us to do something. And then you see things like the women's march that happens. Mm-hmm. And that is an act of doing something, you know. So, yeah, a lot of similarities between what I felt jazz would possibly go through and what a lot of people are going through even today. Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned that you and Jazz have a lot of similarities, but you're finding similarities not just with this show and modern times, but you yourself are similar to her. I'm wondering what qualities do you two share and how did you kind of harness those? Um, there actually, there are similarities and there's been learnings as well. You know, I think um, mm. with Jazz, obviously, there is this frustration that we see right from the very start yeah. uh, of her feeling um, not included in this entire community. Uh, mm-hmm. And not just in the entire community being the country, but also within the in-community, she's always the outsider, you know. And I know the yeah. feeling of being the outsider so well, mm-hmm. uh, coming from India, having a big break in this international film world, yeah. uh, not being here and not being there, you know, not having worked in India really, but, mm-hmm. you know, also not really being American or being British, you know. So yeah. I kind of yeah. understand the feeling of the outsider and the re- and the need to kind of, um, assert yourself. Now, luckily for me, I did not have to assert myself with guns, <laughs> thank God for it. <laughs> right, uh, right. And, uh, and with manifestos and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, just, the, just the, the, um, uh, the need to even go out there and present myself and explain myself constantly over and over to people yeah. so that they can understand that I'm not the other, that I'm still part of yeah. the same big community called the human race. Um, that I think is something that I understand. And I know, you know, as actors, we, it's so much easier when you can, for me, not for everybody, I don't know, I'm speaking for myself. It's mm-hmm. easier for me to extrapolate a feeling that I've had that may not be the, the ne- necessarily the same feeling that jazz is going through at that moment or the circumstances might be so different. Uh, mm-hmm. But the experience is very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel, yeah, the, the need to assert myself. And to be honest, even in this lovely eight long, eight, year long career nine years actually career that mm-hmm. i've had uh there have been times that i feel like I'm, people just don't get it you know i'm like i don't oh, want to be that your pretty face in every movie it's not my it's not my desire it's not my uh it's not my thing it's not my, how i perceive myself um and so yeah. to even break those boundaries you've got to go that extra mile and you know drive to frustration as well so i get mm-hmm. it in that sense with dad but of course um what's at stake for her is a, a lot bigger. It's a freedom that's at stake. Yeah. For me, it was the personal choice to be doing to be doing this, and I'm grateful to be acting. Um, but for her, the stake is way, way, way bigger. And um, and what else? And I said, I kind of feel the other thing about her that I find, uh, you know, for us to be very to have something in common is passion. You know, I'm just whatever I take on, I just get so passionate about it that sometimes I end up sidelining and sidetracking everything else. So I kind of feel uh, that would be the focused passion that she has. I do share that with her. Of course, hers is on another level. <laughs> and yeah. that was a learning part of it where I have to kind of look at jazz and go, wait a minute, I, I, I want to do what jazz is doing in my everyday life as well, but I don't want to do it with anger. I just want to do it with passion. Yeah. So you were kind of thrust into the limelight with the huge success of Slumdog Millionaire winning eight Oscars and you were nominated for a BAFTA. And I mean, congratulations on that, all of that amazing success. What is your relationship with awards? I mean, that's such a strange thing to have that be your very first feature film and to then be Mm -hmm. launched onto the international stage in this way. 
you know, I think with that, I can't compare again because with that, I had no idea what I was doing and no <laughs> idea where what I was being thrust into at all. I literally mm-hmm. got plucked out of obscurity in India with 4,000 girls that auditioned or 3,000 girls that auditioned for mm-hmm. the same part, and I happened to get it. And then I was in my first ever film set ever and hearing words like seed, action, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And so <laughs> all of that was such a new learning for me. Uh, and similarly, once the film was done, the whole promotion part of it, the campaigning part of it, that was brand new for me. And everything was so fresh and innocent, almost in a way. Uh, and then, of course, once the whole awards run was done, as Danny Boyle put it once uh, and explained, you know, just in a, in a, in a very, um, almost like a fatherly way, explained it to us saying, you know, this, is, this has been a great run. But unfortunately, all of you are a little tarnished right now because you know the game. <laughs> you know how this goes, you know? And so I kind of felt like, oh, my God, that's so true. You know, the innocence that I had with Slumdog definitely um, is not the same that I'll have going forward because you know that, oh, you do, you have to do a couple of things to get your project out there because you believe in it. And, you know, so for me, I think now it's more about... Um, just getting people as interested as possible in my TV show, getting people mm. to see this new site to me. But I think everything else, I know how much of it is left up to, you know, a bunch of people voting and chance and whatnot. So that part right. of it, I kind of, you know, like to not think about because, the, the, like I said, the innocence that I had during the first round made me enjoy the process so much more. Mm. Um, and I know that's like a long-winded answer, but it's kind of <laughs> something that I think about and talk about quite a lot, um, just because it's so true. You know, I don't want to get caught up in the race of trying to get to the awards as opposed to trying to get people to first watch it, you know, and, and appreciate it. And, and I don't know, just put a great piece of entertainment out there. So that's true for, for Guerrilla in the sense that your job as an actor in addition to doing the work, of course, and to playing your your character, is to get the word out and to do press and, like you said, yeah. the, the campaign and the publicity and all of that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're not going to be fools about this. We know that this is not, this is niche subject matter. You know, it's mm. not something that, it's not your typical popcorn, uh, everybody's going to watch <laughs> because, sure. uh, 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 this is, you know, and it's all about the promotions. You think about even Slumdog, for that matter, mm. uh, was going straight to DVD, and then it just have, have to have these aggressive, this aggressive promotional um, um, stage, that phase that we went through in order to really get the word out there. We're talking about, like, complete unknown actors in, you mm-hmm. know, my first film. So I completely understand the worst of getting you know, word out there, especially when it's material that I feel so proud of and mm-hmm. uh, really, really value its re- relevance, you know? So, um, so yeah, for me, this is, this is actually the fun part. I usually don't say that with the promotions <laughs> because sometimes <laughs> you un- end up having to promote a film or a TV show that I'm not entirely proud of, but that's also, you know, duty calls. you got to do it. But sure. with this one... I'm actually super excited to talk. And this is the first time, I've got to be honest with you, this is the first time I sit in interviews and people don't ask me about fashion. And it just makes me so happy. No <laughs> oh, questions on fashion, no questions on beauty. It's all <laughs> yeah. about the show. It's all about the time period. It's all about the things that I really want to talk about. You know, right. and fashion and the beauty have its space, but not while I'm promoting something that I'm so proud of. Yeah. No. And, for, and when you're cre- creating a character like Jazz, you're not thinking about the fashion it's not necessarily related to your i mean is it related to your training as a model at all no not at all actually to be really honest for me that there's a big difference between mm-hmm. uh for me just you know talking about fashion and talking about costume costumes which can also be you know if you want clubbed under the term fashion for me it's so important because they you embody the character when you wear those costumes so for mm-hmm. me talking about my costumes in gorilla is a fun aspect we're talking about a red carpet gown that i am thinking of for some time in the future is not welcome no yeah (laughs) so i'm going to ask you a couple questions i won't call them rapid fire Mm -hmm. questions but i've been asking everyone Mm -hmm. these i'm just going to jump into it who is as of this very moment your favorite actor oh oh god oh my god (laughs) I think Yvonne Strahovski from uh, Handmaid's Tale, Dexter. She is... Absolutely. I think that's how you pronounce the name. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, do you watch your own work? And is that one of your techniques for how you learn about your craft? Um, I don't enjoy watching my own work because <laughs> it makes uh-huh. me very, very uncomfortable. Mm. But I know that it is the right thing to do for me, at least, uh, and my process. So I watch it in private before I watch it in a public place with other people. You know, uh-huh. so when you do, when I do screenings and stuff, and I've got to watch it with a, with a crowd, I have had to watch it before that on myself. Otherwise, I would faint or something. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what about what is great acting to you? Just being, you know, I've, you know, over time, I feel like for me, acting is not about going out there and, and acting. I don't know how to put it. Like, um, mm. I, I think when you're not present, um, it shows very well on camera because <laughs> the camera is such a penetrating force. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, everything is amplified 10 times. On a, on a big screen uh, and just with the way that camera lens captured you it's um very intimidating almost so i think being not being present for me is the worst kind of acting and you know i've mm. been guilty of it at times <laughs> oh <laughs> interesting yeah <laughs> i guess i think that's true of everyone right yeah i think that you know being present and being in the moment and just being real to that moment is really important mm-hmm. no matter how um, deeply upsetting or frustrating or joyous the theme might be. It's just, mm. yeah, I think being present. And that's something, you know, I never went, I've never, never um, been to an acting school. I've never mm. been trained classically. Um, so for me, that was something I had to learn on the job in a way, you know, mm. that the moments where I'm not present are the moments where I'm my weakest. Yeah. This question may not apply to you because of your rather strange introduction to the film world um, being launched into this huge film. But what is your number one piece of audition advice for actors who are at the beginning of their careers? Oh, well, actually it does apply to me because I was kind of, I auditioned, I don't know, six months straight for that film. Uh Uh, Sometimes twice every month. Um, I, you know, I find auditions really strange and I know how important they are. And it's kind of, I call them a necessary evil. But um, but I just find them really restrictive. So for people who are uh, restrictive in the sense like you're in a, in a, in a cold, dark room uh, somewhere, pretending mm. like you're, you know, out, I don't know, on a mountain in, I don't know, the Alps or something, I don't even know. <laughs> but, um, but I kind of feel like the one thing for actors to, that could possibly help them, you know, with their auditions is to not be afraid to go as far as they want to go and to be as wild as they want to be. Because at the end of the day, you really are showing a side to yourself that, you know, someone has got to go out there and imagine that this is what the person's going to do if they were thrown this kind of a situation. So for me, I feel to not hold back is one of the best um, things that I have learned through my own audition process. Because sometimes I go and then I see the room and it's so small and, you know, mm. I hold everything in. And when I mean don't hold back, I don't mean go out there and, like, overact the whole thing out. But I just mean, like, to just let yourself really go, to use your imagination and to let yourself really, really go. Um, that, for me, is um, the best thing. I don't know. I've never really, again, been to an acting school, so maybe you should ask no, that my acting coach that. <laughs> no, that was excellent advice. Yeah. That was acting advice gold. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Frida. Um is there anything else you want to add about Gorilla or about uh, the upcoming Emmys? Oh, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just like very super grateful to John Ridley and I'm really proud of him for being so brave. I mean, Giselle, actually, who's an exec producer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and Showtime, of course. So being so brave to, to put this material out there. You know, I just, my ultimate goal in my life and my career right now is to just work with brave people because, I don't want to be sitting on the fence like Jar says actually in the, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, the, in the first or the second episode, uh, second, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I just don't want to be someone who sits on a fence. You know? I just want to, be, to go out there and tell the story as it really needs to be told. And for yeah. that, you require brave um, leaders. And that's what I had in John and Idris and Showtime and Sky Atlantic. So just that. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I hope you continue to do TV and just keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original drama series, The Leftovers, starring Justin Thoreau and Carrie Coon. Expect the unexpected as this Peabody award-winning series prepares for the seventh anniversary of The Departure, or your Emmy consideration in Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. Amy Brenneman is a five-time Emmy-nominated actor who first broke onto the scene in the ABC police drama NYPD Blue before creating and starring in CBS's drama Judging Amy. From 1999 to 2005, Amy was the creator of that show, and uh, in our interview, she talked a lot about what she learned from being on that side of the creative process. She now stars as Lori Garvey on The Leftovers, HBO's drama series from creators Damon Lindelof and Tom Perota. Damon Lindelof of Lost fame, following up Lost with a collaboration with Tom Perota, who wrote a novel called The Leftovers, which season one was based on in 2014, followed by a season two that expanded and continued to surprise audiences and critics, and a recently aired season three, which many are calling a masterpiece. The same can be said for Amy Brenneman's performance. We were so delighted to talk to her. Here's my chat with Amy. Is it true that you've been, I mean, talking about The Leftovers for weeks now, now that it's in the midst of the final season, are you just relentlessly plugging the show and promoting it every chance you can get? I am. Although, you know, I will say this about The Leftovers, plugging means actually having existential conversations. Yeah. (laughs) It's honestly, you cannot even begin to talk about the show without, you know, caring about someone's dead grandmother. I mean, it, it just opens people up, opens me up. Um, I think it's this platform for some pretty substantial conversation. So, um, yes, of course, there's the making sure people watch it. But um, it's honestly a pleasure to talk about this project. Absolutely. Well, and I want to just get right into it with Lori Garvey, because she's just a fascinating person as portrayed by you. I'm wondering, like, who is she? How would you describe her to someone who's never seen the show? Well, I think Lori is was a pretty normal, recognizable person. Um, you know, I think that what Damon always says about the leftovers, and I'm not actually sure if this is entirely true, but it sort of amplified um, who people really, really, really were deep down inside, you know? So we all have um, personas and covers and societal norms that um, help us get through the day. And hopefully somewhere, you know, we have very deep connections to know, okay, this is who I really am, you know? So I think Lori, um, as demonstrated by the flashback uh, episode of the first season, which was the day before the sudden departure, she was pretty recognizable. She was Mm. a working mom, um, pretty bossy, uh, pretty loving with her kids, pretty judgmental of her husband. (laughs) I think there's a lot of elements that would be relatable. Um, and I think I think she, you know, as a therapist, as a capable person, as a working parent, I think that she did suffer from the delusion, it turns out, that she's in control of a lot of things that she wasn't. So I think, the, so her bumping into the sudden departure and the powerlessness and the mystery of that uh, has really sent her in a lot of different directions. But I ask, I, I do actually sort of feel and this is sort of cheesy and I don't mean want to put a bow on it, but I do feel like the way we're knowing her in the third season and basically the way we will leave her is the kind of the person that she wanted to be all along. Oh, cool. That's wonderful. And so I know we're in the midst of season three, but what can you tell us about the finale? What can you tell us about where you think this show will leave viewers who are devoted to it. I mean, it's a beloved show. How do you, how do you end it? Well, I definitely, the word catharsis has come Mm -hmm. up. Um, You know, when I saw my, my, the episode where I was featured that's on this Sunday, I, I'm not always that um, critical of myself, but Mm -hmm. very critical of myself watching this. And I, and I'm still parsing out why I think some of it is 
um, the lack of glamour and sort of which <laughs> we are very stripped down, all of us, you know, so it's like in peace with your face looks and just all that human vanity. Um, and then also I think the bar is so high and I care so much, you know, that, I don't know, I find myself being critical in a way that I'm not always, but, but that said, at the so I'm having my little, what I call top world thoughts, which is like, you know, oh, I didn't do that well, or I look weird, or that, or that. And then literally simultaneously, I am weeping. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, there is actually something bigger than me mm. going on. And, and I think that, um, you know, again, like I, I, I love setting rituals from different traditions, you know, and I think that when they are, you know, when religion doesn't wound people, and that's a big when, if, um, they are the most beautiful, theatrical, transformative experiences because it leads you to catharsis, right? It leads you out of the chatty, chatty, you know, I mean, I study Buddhism, so we're all up here in the top world, chatty, chatty, you know, judgments, opinions, to-do lists, right? Mm-hmm. What leads to um, a couple clicks down where we can actually connect with our humanity, and it's hard to do. And I think leftovers does it and that's why people and it's very unique and that's why people don't want to go well and when we were when you were first getting involved with the show how did your relationship with religion how did majoring in religion and studying it affect your decision to do it or affect your, your choices you make as an actor oh my god it was like there's never shows like this <laughs> i mean never shows that um in a very playful unpedantic um genuinely unanswerable way say this is what it's like to be a human being you know and the whole thing of like would crack me up it's like are we going to find out what happened are we going to find out what happened i'm like i don't even know how my toaster works like we would we work we live (laughs) alongside mystery all the time you know and we go into denial about it or we accept it you know but we live along you know alongside mystery obviously when a when ourselves or a loved one gets really ill when a child dies you know that's where it kind of like wow why does this happen Um, but the the truth is every single day, you know, we are accepting of powerlessness and mystery. And then it's basically, if we're okay with that, with our style of doing that, you know, people are more and less comfortable with it. I'm more and less comfortable with different things I'm powerless over when it comes to my kids. Don't like that feeling (laughs) when I'm sitting by the ocean, it seems appropriate. You know, there are so many things outside of our human ego. Um, so anyway, that, all that said is this is, this conversation you and I are having, this is the kind of conversation I had the first time I met Damon Lindelof. I was like, I'm in. I'm totally yeah. you know, getting stoned in a college dorm. It doesn't feel like a job. <laughs> um, so all of that, I, I, I felt very, um, very ready for it. And then, um, and then honestly, I think that, like I had read this book by Reza Aslan called Zealot, and I turned Damon onto that. And Reza really talks about sort of the bone. What, it, what does it take? Um, in a culture for a new religion to arise, right? And it's actually pretty formulaic. It takes a certain amount of existential anxiety. It takes a, it takes a kind of circus atmosphere. It, you know, also there's you have false prophets, there's real prophets, you know, all of the stuff that Damon just ran with um, in the second and third uh, seasons especially. I love that. I don't even know how my toaster works. It's so true. There are, there are mysteries. <laughs> Everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I want to ask about your relationship with awards, because you are in the interesting position. You're a five-time Emmy nominee, and that's for NYPD Blue and for Judging Amy. And so Judging Amy was a really groundbreaking female-led drama with you at the helm in more ways than one. And so what was that journey like to go from a guest role on NYPD Blue all the way to helming what was then sort of more of a rare occurrence? Well, it still is. The last moon just got nailed for the lack of females. <laughs> I was like, shit, come on, Les. Um, it was, it would transform my life. I mean, it, um, in, in many, many ways. Um, first of all, in this journey that we all have, and women may have it a little bit more, actresses may have it a little bit more, but this journey towards self-determination, right? Toward really saying, you know what, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And the chips are going to fall what they may. And, you know, and all the kind of authority figures, usually male, you know, going like, you should do this and you should do that. So I, nobody thought I should created a show really except for my husband and my manager at the time i mean it was sort of like but i was like ah whatever like i I, of course i can always go back to just being an actor for hire but i Mm. came from a collaborative theater company and i really love 
um, being in the leader, not, not really being the, the sole leader, but I love being in a leadership council, you know, if you will. So there was no expectations on us and we just had all this freedom. So I had the delicious experience of when I would see a script or an episode, I would think, yep, that's exactly what was in my head. And then obviously I fall to my knees in front of Barbara Hall because I was not writing the thing. You know, you have to find the right collaborators. So the fact that we were on air was a miracle. The fact that people watched us was a miracle. And then when the award stuff happening, it just, it was so gratifying of like, oh, my voice, I have something to say mm-hmm. in this culture that's kind of heading over the transom. Now that said, it was like an obscene amount of work. <laughs> and yeah. I was in my, you know, mid thirties at the time. So I, I also had to bear two children. <laughs> so I was, when that uh, ended and I was hugely pregnant with my son, I thought, I would like to, now it's, I'm in a great position where I get to produce sometimes, but I also really mm. appreciate not producing. Mm. So private practice was just the perfect job and ensemble and Shonda and all that stuff. Um, but I think the way it has forever changed me doing Judging Amy is um, I just assume that part of my job is to create material and create content. So, you know, the idea of sitting around and waiting for the phone to ring, I've just, I've never done that anyway. And with the with arguably my biggest success coming from my own head, I, I just never wait for stuff to come to me. And when it does, it's a nice surprise. But that's not. And I also live with a writer director, so mm-hmm. we're just always dreaming up new stuff. Well, that doubles as excellent advice for backstage users because it is true that waiting by the phone for opportunity to ring is not as effective as creating those opportunities yourself. Well, it's fun too, and it's really. And then you know the the. When you do go into an audition room, you just don't smell desperate and you have a rich and full life. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a collaborator by nature. So when I struggle sometimes, it's when my collaborators are busy or I'm betwixt in between, you know, it's, it's hard. Although now, now I can, I can motivate a little bit more on my own, but I, I really come alive. I really spark when, when I have somebody to bounce stuff off of. You mentioned the audition advice. Do you, do you still go on auditions? Yeah, I yeah, not I mean not a ton. Um I'm I I mean there's less stuff that I'm right for slash interested in. Um I would say most of the stuff tends to be a meeting. Every once in a while I get a um uh an offer outright, but frankly I like those meetings. Like my favorite thing is an offer pending a meeting because like what if I don't like them? You know, you, you wanna you know, I have dogs, you wanna sniff each other out. <laughs> um also here's the deal. I'm a producer, I, I sit many times on the other side of the casting thing. Right. So you don't, it's not a personal thing. It's like, oh, I've never seen that person do that kind of material. Let's see them, you know? So I think once you start to produce or, you know, sit on the other side of the casting thing, you, you take a lot less personally. Yeah. It's nice. So when I show up as an actor, um, I have a little bit more freedom around me. Yeah. I mean, is that something you recommend for early career actors in the audition room? I do. I, I, yes, I think, um, actors that I know who were readers for casting people, um, it's invaluable because you, you literally are kind of watching, you know, you usually don't audition side by side with other people. So it's almost like seeing different styles, what works, what doesn't, um, it's all pretty nuanced, you know, I mean, how much to chit chat when it's like being at a party, you know, when it's time to, Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully the casting director will always kind of steer the room too. But I like to, I mean, there's the material and that's important, but I love the chit chat as an actor. And then also as a cast, when I'm casting, because, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna get in relationship with somebody. So sensitive humor, you know, obviously if you understand one another, um, my husband, who is a director, I don't often give, sometimes I do, but, um, I don't often give adjustments in auditions, but he does. And -hmm. sometimes even if somebody does something that's sort of spot on, he'll give an adjustment just to see if people can take directions and if they, you know, if we all speak the same language, you're, you're kind of, there's a lot going on in that room. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember doing the movie Heat. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at De Niro and De Niro, honestly, in person, when, at least when I was working with him, it's not like his acting. I mean, he's just like a crazy genius with the camera. It's more like when I saw the film, like, oh, he's doing all this stuff. In person, he's just kind of like an adorable buffoon, you know? <laughs> but one thing I noticed immediately 
was how comfortable he was and whether the cameras were going or not. And I remember he, he, you know, dropped his sides or he said, what's the line? I mean, stuff that I, stuff that I do all the time now, but I just hadn't been in front of a camera enough. Mm. And, um, judging Amy really changed that. And also I was my own boss. So I wasn't yeah. trying to please anybody. Um, and I think that's always a existential like aha moment. And what about your advice for, as a five-time Emmy nominee, what, how do you tell people who are about to enter that limelight? What do they need to know about the hitting the red carpet, the showing up and doing press? Like, is there, do you have any advice for people who are about to hit that level? Well, it's funny. When I first did a red, I swear to God, it was one of the first times I did a red carpet. Mm-hmm. And I am not a fashionista. I'm more like, it's funny, Al Pacino and I once had this, he totally got my number. He was like, oh my God, you're like, you're like from the seventies. You're like the Ali McGraws and Catherine Ross. And I was like, yeah, I'm my whole thing is, which is why leftovers is so great for me. It's how much can I strip down? Like that's, that's the high wire act for me. So the red, I'm not a, you know, my friend Kate Walsh, like loves clothes. She looks amazing in clothes. And I was like, Oh man, fuck you're like, amazing. You know, it, I've made my peace with it. Absolutely. But it's, I didn't, I never was a little girl thinking about, you know, beautiful clothes. And I, I'm not putting that down. It just wasn't my jam. So the first time I did a red carpet, I remember, um, I can't really describe it, but my feeling as I was on the red carpet was like, oh, shucks, you know, sort of humble. Uh-huh. The were terrible. They were terrible. It's like my shoulders were sort of slouched. I was, I was apologetic. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, if you do the red carpet and you're an actor, pretend you're a supermodel. Like yeah. just pre- because the clothes are going to look great. The pictures are going to look great. and you know, you're going to feel self-conscious for all of 20 seconds. But um, if you're going to bother to do a red carpet, like pretend it's a catwalk and, and act it up, you know, like so that kind of helped me. And then I remember looking at, I'm um, actually Sharon Lawrence, um, who became a good friend of mine. And she, oh my God, she, we were on the red carpet for Enterprise Be Blue and she looked unbelievable. Like she had this way of twisting her hips and their clothes look great. And I was like, Jesus, like, where did you learn this? And she was like, well, I'm a Southerner. You know, we had like fashion shows. I was like, oh, I'm the kid of lawyers. Like, I don't know jack shit about this. <laughs> but I sort of um, copied them and, and found my way in. So I didn't feel like a phony. I felt like, um, you know. Gotcha. That's excellent advice. That's so interesting. I mean, my next question is, what is great acting to you? I think great acting is... Um, is about surrender and generosity. Um, I mean, I think it's really how much you can give to the audience and to your fellow actors. I mean, I, my, my transcendent, memorable, take to my grave moments are always when something unexpected happens. Um, and it usually has to do with me trusting another person, director or another actor. Uh, Tyne Daly once said this great thing where she, we were at the beginning of a season and she can do anything, you know, and she's just unbelievable. And we were like maybe the third or fourth episode in. And I said, you having a good season so far? She said, yeah. And she'd been doing like impeccable work. You go, oh my God, I would dream to do that work. She said, yeah, but I haven't really been surprised yet. Mm. So I think to be surprised, especially when you've been acting as long as she has, and, you know, I'm getting up there too, means you're letting go. You're, you're working out your stuff and then you're letting it go entirely. You prep it and then you let it go. Yeah, cool. Well, and I wanted to ask, like, what is the secret to uh, the longevity in television and the and being able to reinvent yourself on the small screen over and over again? And it sounds like that's it. The, you're looking for something to surprise you. Yeah, and, and and you're looking for new challenges, and you, um, you know, I again, I think for me, you know, there there was this the, the first season of Leftovers when um, when I was in the floor was in the cold and I, you know, really no joke, couldn't wear a stitch of makeup. And I was going through a lot. It was my vanity, you know, like, oh my God. Like also, cause I just came from a Shonda Rhimes show where we're very glamorous. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I was trying to be, that was my couple months of my experimenting with being, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a smart movie star, you know, so I'm going to um, wear a little eyeliner and nobody will know, or I'm going to get a little, <laughs> manicure and be, and I swear to you, every single time I did anything like that, I would get a text from Damon back in LA looking at the daily thing. I see what you're doing. Like you cannot <sighs> pop us out of the material if we smell 
Lori's vanity. Like, she, that's the whole thing. She's in a cult, right? So I was really, you know, I was like, oh, my God. And and then um, Mimi Leader came on our fifth episode of that first year, and then she got you know, stayed with us. And, and she just said, trust me. And I said, okay. And I realized I am not smart enough to hold protecting myself and doing what Damon has hired me to do. So I'm going to let go. Wonderful. And, and, you know, I was like, maybe, maybe, maybe I won't be able to watch this one. I don't know. You know, maybe I'll, my vanity will, be, I don't know. But I have been hired to do a job, which is to render this material. And what I'm really doing is sneaking around trying to protect myself. And um, I, I can't do both. Absolutely. That's excellent acting advice. Um, right? Yeah. Backstage listeners are going to, they're going to, this is pure gold for them. <laughs> so thank you. Well, Amy Brenneman, thank you so much. It's been, it's been an honor. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original limited series, Big Little Lies, starring Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, and Shailene Woodley. Told through the eyes of three mothers, Big Little Lies paints a picture of a town fueled by rumors, conflicts, secrets, and betrayals. For your Emmy consideration in Outstanding Limited Series and all other categories. Jay Duplass is a film director and writer and producer. He and his brother Mark are the Duplass brothers. They're very active in the indie film community. But as we discussed in our interview, Jay is becoming better known as an actor because of his casting as Josh Pfefferman in Jill Soloway's Amazon comedy Transparent. The series is about a trans parent, which has won the Golden Globe Award for Best TV Series Comedy, as well as several Emmys, including for its star, Jeffrey Tambor. Jay stars as Josh. He gives a really spectacular performance, and we talk a little bit about being on both sides of the camera, and also how promoting Transparent is about trans activism. And by appearing on red carpets, and by promoting the show, and by the show winning awards on its own merits, it is promoting trans actors, trans characters, and trans stories. This year, in fact, season three of Transparent, Jay and his castmates saw it as an opportunity to help support Gavin Grimm, another trans activist. And he is a veritable goldmine of actorly advice. So here it is, my interview with the one and only Jay Duplass. Your work on this show is just really, really stirring and really beautiful. And I feel like Josh just expands each season into a more and more painful and haunted, but also funny and touching character. Gosh, thank you. Um, <laughs> we yeah. can, can we end it right now? Yeah, we're uh. done. And we're good. <laughs> um, why don't you take us back to how did you get involved in in Transparent in the first place. This is one of your first big acting credits. Yeah, um, it really is my first, you know, like big acting job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've m- mostly been a writer, director, and um, I've actually been the camera operator on a lot of the stuff or all of the early stuff that my brother and I have created. Um, and um, honestly, you know, I had had friends who were like, hey, maybe you should act. You know, you're, you don't you seem pretty open. And, uh-huh. um, it seems like you're pretty easy with your emotions and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, I'm literally physically behind the camera. I don't really know how to get out around it. It's part of like the culture of how my brother and I make movies. And mm-hmm. I was at a party for directors about four years ago, and Jill Soloway with this, was at this party, mm-hmm. who is the creator of Transparent, and um, you know she had just made this movie, Afternoon Delight, and I was a big fan, and we were just talking, and as directors do, you know, she was like telling me uh, her woes with this great TV show <laughs> she was about to make. She had the whole family, but she didn't have the son or the brother. Oh, cool. And uh, and I and I was, you know, she was like, I need like a wildly insecure slash. <laughs> confident, uh, mid thirties Jewish guy. And I was like, Oh, I, I know all the guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know them. They're all my friends. Right. Uh, and so I was, you know, going through a laundry list, just trying to help her, you know, come up with the, with the best casting options. And she had really thought of everyone hmm. and, and, you know, she kind of gave up on it and we talked for about 30 minutes and 
about 30 minutes into the conversation, she froze and she stopped and she said, it's you. Oh my gosh. She really? said, you are, you're him. And I got like white <laughs> lightning and chills all over my body. And I was, and, and, you know, and my initial response was, no, I'm not an actor. Right. Um, you know, I, I have my own TV show. I was just starting my television show with HBO called Togetherness that I was like writing and directing. And, you know, we were doing everything on that show. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. So I was like overwhelmed. And she said, listen, you're going to come in tomorrow and you're going to read with the two daughters, oh, the wow. sisters. And, uh, and I said, oh, okay, I guess so. You know? Um, but it, you know, there was a, I was really resistant and I, I went and I read and it was this, it was amazing what happened. It was like lightning struck in that moment. And, um, you know, we improvised and we, Gabby and Amy and I all have really close sibling relationships. So we know what that is. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of messing with each other and, you know, it was really sweet and funny and heartbreaking the way that transparent is. And I looked over Jill at the end of it and she kind of was like raising her arms with this look of almost like, who are you to deny this thing that (laughs) happened? You know? Yeah, it was. So I did it, but I, I still even thought like, well, I'm going to do a web show on this on Amazon. Oh, I mean like uh-huh. no no one's going to see it, ah, you know? Like interesting. This, is a, this is where you buy your toilet paper. It's not uh, where you watch shows. <laughs> yeah, back um, then, that's right. Yeah. So for me it was more just an experiment and then, you know, literally 6 months later we won the Golden Globe for <sighs> best comedy and everything changed. Amazing. And the Emmys out the wazoo and the yeah. Continue with the Golden Globes and all of your recognition. You yourself is not you were nominated for a Critics Choice Award. Very, mm-hmm. very well deserved. Thank um, you. That's amazing that it was an epiphany that hit Jill. I mean, was it because you were just having a conversation with her about your life and she just saw the way that you talk and the way that you are as a person? I know, yeah, I think in retrospect, I mean, I don't think she really even knew other than like this intuition, which yeah. is how she works. And that that's mm. the best part of it. I mean, later we've talked about it a lot, obviously like, right. Oh my God, can you believe that almost didn't happen? You <laughs> right, know? Right. Um, and, uh, and we've talked about, you know, certain things like, um, you know, I, I'm a very, you know, I make my own stuff and mm-hmm. I'm pretty ruthless and yeah, I don't, I will stop at nothing to, to create my own things. So there's like a sort of like tough, like executive part of me, but I'm really just a softy. And I think in retrospect, I think she was looking for somebody who was a softy ultimately to, to play Josh Mm -hmm. because, you know, she was like, you know, 90% of what he does, especially in that first season is really like crushing people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the 10% is just like full blown emotional uh, vulnerability and release. And, And, you know, I think she was like, that was, even though that was only 10% of what we saw that first season, that was like the key to the character. Yeah, and, cool. and and since then, that's what it's become more and more of. Like, it's almost hard to shake because I tell people sometimes that Josh hasn't had sex on screen since season one. And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. He has sex with that? You, know, you know, it's like, it's already built into their minds. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think uh, in seasons one and two, uh, you know, a big thing that happens to Josh as he meets Rabbi Raquel. Um, and it's, it's such a huge, it's like a, for him, I think he sees it as a, she's so good, you know, Mm -hmm. like everything in his world is just like mired by like passive aggressive aggression and, 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 you know, ulterior motives and, and, you know, really having no, uh, being ungrounded because he wasn't parented, um, ultimately, um, Mm. And, you know, Rabbi Raquel to him is, is like, I guess just this magical portal to goodness, yeah. you know, and it's probably the first age appropriate relationship he's ever had in his life. <laughs> right, um, right. and I, and he really goes all out towards her, but you know, um, they have a miscarriage and mm-hmm. he doesn't handle it well because he has no life skills whatsoever <laughs> and it falls apart. And, um, you know, I think that's part of what uh, we see in in uh, season three mm-hmm. is the falling apart of Josh, and there's a moment where it's acknowledged that she, that the rabbi has moved on from him, mm-hmm. like she's with another guy and he loses it, and the closest 
connection he has is um is a trans girl uh shay played by uh trace lissette mm-hmm. who is in his mappa's circle of friends and they just have chemistry is all right. he knows you know she also probably is like the most gorgeous girl you know josh oh, has ever fully. been around oh, yeah. <laughs> you oh, know yeah. or or any of us oh, um yeah. and so you know i think it's like he in the early season, he's like sort of like toying with that. What would that be like or that chemistry? They they hang out at like family functions together. But when he realizes that the rabbi has moved on, he shows up at the strip club yeah. still playing where where Shay dances and you know, immediately they both know why he's there um. and they're both having a hard time and everything clicks for both of them. And they're in a car off, off to the, you know, to run away, to run away together. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's a very new and unprecedented story from what I've been told is it is, um, as far as we know, you know, the first love storyline where a straight man is just simply interested in a trans girl mm-hmm. as a girlfriend, not as a fetish, um, mm-hmm. not as, uh, you know, a hidden sexual desire that he's not sharing with the rest of the world. Right. He just like really likes this girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of many barriers that I, I think Jill and this show have broken in the course yes. of three seasons. Yeah. Many barriers have yeah. been broken. And what I love about it is, you know, that, that affair and that relationship goes tragically wrong, but it, it actually isn't because of, uh, ultimately isn't because of Shay's transness. It's more yeah. because of Josh's pfefferman-ness. Um, uh, yeah, pfefferman-ness. Which I, which, and that's what I love about Jill is that, you know, you people may come to watch Transparent because they're curious about the inner world of trans people. And then, you know, two episodes mm. later, they're just watching a show about a family that's as, just as fucked up as yours is. And yeah. they forget all about it. And I think that's what's yeah. such a what's revolutionary about the show. Me personally, I, it just blows my mind when, like this, you know, the bathroom stuff was happening in North Carolina, where I'm like, yeah, I, I think you should know at least ten trans people before you have an opinion about what they can and can't mm, do. Like mm-hmm. you should at least know them. Yeah, you know, that was like my main thought, and then I was starting to think about transparent, and it's like, oh wow, that's a way for people to know mm. trans people. Yeah, amazing. And as you said that you and getting involved in this project and maybe everyone getting involved with this project did not know that it would be such a huge critical and commercial success, correct? Oh, God, no. We knew it was special. Mm-hmm. We knew the connections were special. We knew the story was special, but we didn't know every, where it was going. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a web show. That was, yeah. you know, and you remember the fee, I mean, you know, five years ago, you remember when people were like, watch my web show, you were like, oh God, <laughs> sure. I had to click on YouTube and watch a commercial before, you know, that was like the feeling, you know? Right. And, and now it's like, I mean it, you know, and now Amazon is like a Titan, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did not really know. We just knew we were making a really cool show in our neighborhood. Mm. Um, but you know, since then, yeah, it's, and now it's at the forefront of the civil rights movement, which is just, yeah. you know. That's so exciting. It's so rare. The, yeah, the sense of purpose that mm. we have going to work every day. Mm. You know, I mean, like the first day of production, Jill stood up and she said, I am making this show so that I can make the world a safer place mm. for my for my parent, you know. Yeah, and yeah. that feeling is not lost on anyone at any point in time, you know? Yeah. It's that thing of, of how being an actor is, it carries a lot of responsibility with it, right? Yeah. Um, or I guess I any mean, storyteller. Any storyteller, for sure. I mean, I, I know Jeffrey for sure. Mm-hmm. He feels a lot of pressure, you know, like he feels a pressure to get it right. Mm-hmm. He knows that being, you know, a cisgender male playing a trans person mm-hmm. is not it's not to be taken lightly. Right. Um, you know, and yeah, he really, there's a lot of pressure on him. And, and, you know, I, I also like similar, I mean, I don't have nearly the pressure that he has, but I think also like I, as Josh, I, you know, I often push or take it on to say the stuff that people are scared to say, to say the non 
PC things, right. you know, sure. and to call it out, to be that straight white male who's saying mm-hmm. the wrong stuff and getting scorned for it and getting a little beat up for it. Cause it's important because that's a voice that is a, that is the voice of most of the rest of the world. Right. And it needs to be said, right. you know, it's usually the dominant voice. Yeah. Yes. It's usually the dominant voice. So, you know, it's like as, as much as it might be painful to like say some of the things that Josh says and perform some of the actions they need to be said, um, so that people can see them in the proper context, which is the context of humanity and how it makes other people feel and how it affects other people's experience in the world. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I want to ask about the award circuit side of things, because as you mentioned, as, as you put it, the, this show went from a, a tiny little passion project to launched onto a much bigger stage at the moment that it won the Golden Globe, right? Yeah. So as the show continues to get very deserving Emmys and Golden Globes and all of this, I mean, what is there a plan of attack? Is there, do you guys have meetings about how to quote unquote campaign for awards or how important is that to you? Um, we use awards <clears throat> to message Hmm. um, for trans rights more than anything. Um, so we do have meetings and usually it's Jill gathering around us and saying, you know, like three months ago when we were starting shooting season four, we were doing a lot of behind all of our behind the scenes got, um, we redirected it all towards supporting Gavin Grimm and his fight, you know, to, to, you know, use male, male bathrooms at his high school. Mm -hmm. And, um, so th- for us, we try to use it as a platform um, and we use um, all of our plus ones and our tickets at these award shows to mm-hmm. invite the trans uh, community to the award shows mm-hmm. so that they can be seen and they can be heard on the red carpet. So, I mean, it really, um, our whole sort of approach is is one of social activism in terms of um giving voice to marginalized voices. Um, and because Jill is so incredibly revolutionary, not only in her art making, but in her own process, you know, Hmm. our, our show is, you know, we have a gender neutral show and there are several trans people on our crew and several, um, you know, people whose gender is not, uh, they're not click checking a binary box. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so we, we, that is a huge part of just, um, you know, trying to walk the walk and and talk the talk. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that for, it's not true of many shows that I think their relationship with awards is as, as a form of, as you say, social activism. It's super exciting. Yeah, and it's everyone is involved. Like, you know, my wife's a social worker and I, like this whole past year, I've brought Trace Lissette as my date um, mm-hmm. because she needs, people need to know who she is. Totally, um, and, she's, and she's remarkable. She's, she's amazing. Uh, and so people need to know, and, and it's something that wouldn't happen otherwise. So, um, it's something that, you know, weirdly like everyone that is connected to the show is proud of. Um, so, and it also, sometimes when you go to a lot of award stuff, you start feeling a little gross about like, Oh, (laughs) you know, like how many red carpets can I do and how many outfits can I wear? And, (laughs) you know, um, when you, when you, when you're truly using your privilege Mm. to give underprivileged people a leg up, um, it just, the whole world gets better, you know? And it's interesting too, because I, you know, they might not get the invitations, but when they show up, like the press is there. I mean, like I, you know, I was at MTV Awards with Trace and we were in a photograph that got posted yeah. as like the top, I would, let's put, let's put it this way. I was in a photograph that got posted <laughs> like the top 20 hottest of people, yeah. you know, and I would not have been in that, in that top 20 <laughs> if, if Trace had not had her arm draped over my yeah. shoulder. So, you That's know, so it cool. definitely like it, it's, it benefits all parties, but, and it also just like keeps the family together and uh, yeah. it's such a, it's such a love fest. Yeah. 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 Um, who is as of this moment, your favorite actor? Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> I have like, I have like little nuggets of favorite people. I mean, I, I just have to say Meryl Streep because I think she's uh-huh. the greatest actor that's ever lived. Sure. Like her, she, her body is a portal for anything that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me think, um, about 
very specifically, I, I'm just going to go with her. Sorry. If I get another one, I'll come back to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Steve Zissis is probably my favorite actor. Oh, He's oh, cool, my best cool. friend. And he, he was the lead in, uh, in Togetherness, our mm-hmm. TV show. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different actors. That's awesome. <laughs> two very different actors. Yep. <laughs> um, what was the last TV show you watched? I'm sure you watch a lot of TV. I do watch a lot of TV. I'm obsessed with Americans. I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with um, Search Party, and I'm yes. obsessed with uh, Baskets. Um, oh, those cool. are my three. I just can't get enough, can't oh. gobble enough of those up. And I love The Crown this year. Oh, very cool. What a great little smorgasbord of, of shows that you, just, yeah. that you just listed. That's wonderful. People need to watch Search Party. Nobody oh, knows about God, it. Right? It's on TBS. It's, it's so genius. good. I just want to tell people it is... It's like a millennial David Lynch comedy. Yes. Is what it it's like a David Lynchian, it's like a funny David Lynchian right. um like Twin Peaks made in New York City by millennials. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it is so funny and so addictive. Um, I, agree. I love it. I spent that whole show just wondering how how on earth is it balancing that between the everything you're just saying, the all of those different elements. It's somehow like a laugh out loud satire about millennials, but also genuinely scary and genuinely suspenseful and yeah i don't know how and they did it so funny so because funny. john early is the funniest human <laughs> being on the planet that's the other takeaway john early john if early. you don't know who he is he's the funniest human that's currently living <laughs> <laughs> when are you going to work with john early i worked with john early on beatrice at dinner this movie that oh. miguel arteta directed that yeah. um that's that's coming out um, very very soon. That's right. And, oh, cool. Um, and uh, I'm gonna work with John early on something else, but I can't say what it is. Oh, okay. Um, cool. I'm we'll only keep working tuned. exclusively with John early now. <laughs> as you should. As you should. Yeah. That's people such a good actor. Shit and I'm like, is John early attached? Then please get out of my face. <laughs> he is. He's the funniest. Um, this is a really broad question, but what to you is great acting? Uh, it's just being true in the moment. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of things to do with acting and a lot of places to go and places to explore. But I think, um, I don't know, for me, uh, it has to do with a truthfulness of being mm-hmm. um, and not trying, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, just a true, like I would rather someone just be real and do nothing. It's so much more riveting to me than someone who is doing a million things, mm-hmm. but there's like nobody home, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. So it's like the more that I can like feel the truth of their spirit, um, mm. you know, I mean, Mark and I always say when we're directing our stuff is like, you might have a scene where somebody comes in and they're supposed to be peppy all day but that actor is really depressed because something happened. And mm. if you try and make them be peppy, you're going to have a weird, messed up right. result. And it's not going to feel true. Hmm. But if you acknowledge that they're depressed and you acknowledge that maybe this might be a depressed, peppy thing mm. and you can make it work, then you might have some kind of gold that is so complicated and and deeply understood by the audience. But I think that's what very cool. That's what I want. That's what audiences want is like, your true self on some level in every little moment. Well, wonderful. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Jay. Oh gosh. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah. Um, and keep breaking legs. I can't wait to see (laughs) season four. When, what can we expect from season four? Um, well, season four has a really big secret in it that we are not allowed to talk about. Um, but uh, I will say that um, as different pfefferments tend to cohabitate with each other, uh-huh. um, I, Josh and Shelly, his mother, mm-hmm. um, have a return to form oh. where at the beginning of the season, Josh is um, taking care of Shelly mm-hmm. at his apartment. And <laughs> it is, um, <laughs> it's like two and a half men meets golden girls meets <laughs> Jill Soloway high art. Yeah. It is really funny and 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 really tragic in the best ways. So oh, that uh, sounds amazing. That's that's the starting point and what what I'm really excited about. Well, I can't wait to be reunited with the Pfeffermans. Um, and I know we're all really looking forward to it. So 
Uh, anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, have a good one. All right. You too. Have a great day today. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us, Jay. And thank you also to this week's guests, Frida Pinto and Amy Brenneman. Thank you to all of our guests for these first episodes of In the Envelope. And good luck. Or as they say in the theater, break a leg. Maybe good luck is is bad luck to say. Emmy nominations are approaching and we have our fingers crossed for you. And congratulations on making wonderful seasons of wonderful television. Be sure to stay tuned for more, listeners, for more from the front lines of the 2017 Emmy race. This is not goodbye. This is only goodbye for now. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, leave reviews, share with all of your friends, working actors and non-working actors alike. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thank you to both. Thank you, of course, to podcast whiz Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieMusicNYC. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you, as always, to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rapoport, Ryan Remstad, Jesse Balashak, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the completely amazing, I could not have done it without her, Casey Howe. For awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thank you for listening and stick around for more In the Envelope. Amy Brenneman is one of many actresses who I now want to be my mom. We're not going to... Should we include that? Yes. I think it's... That was, maybe that was great. I don't know. Are there any actresses that you don't want? <laughs> Are there any actresses who I don't want to be my mom?